Grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father and from Jesus our Savior too. The words of God before us this morning are from Colossians chapter 3. If you've got a paper copy of the worship folder, turn back to page 8. Otherwise, I'll put the main verses on the screen. As the Apostle Paul writes to God's people, you see, this is how he addresses them. He writes this. He writes to those who are God's people whom he has chosen, people who are holy, not because they've never sinned, but because Jesus shed his blood for them, people who are dearly loved. No matter what anybody else thinks of them in the world, God, their heavenly Father, dearly loves them. Those are the kind of people Paul is writing to, and as I look out at you this morning, that includes you too and me. We are God's people made his through faith in Jesus in our hearts, through our baptism, made part of God's family. And see, Apostle Paul in this paragraph writes six things to people like, like this. And as I go through the list, each one of them I can say to you too today. There are other places too that summarize what does it mean to live as God's people. Uh, but look with me again as Paul lists these six. And then we're going to focus in on the one about worship. So th- they go verse by verse. Verse 12 What does it mean to be God's people? It's that when you get up in the morning, as you take your pajamas off and get dressed for the day, you don't just get dressed for work or for church or for a softball game. You put on humility and kindness and compassion and gentleness and patience. Like those are the clothes that you're wearing. Things that are so rare in this world, and it is God's people, we put those on every morning as we go out into the world. That's thing number one. Number two is in verse 13 to bear with each other and forgive one another. I don't know who got on your nerves this week, or maybe it's not this week, maybe sometime long ago someone did something that hurt you very, very much. Paul says the second thing about us as Christians is that we bear with each other and we forgive. Not just because we have to or because it's the thing we're supposed to do, But if you look at the last line, it's because we, of all people on earth, know what forgiveness is because God forgave us in Christ. No matter our sins, they've been washed away. And so number two on the list is, let's forgive each other. Number three in verse 14 is, over all those things, put on love. Uh, When it's winter here, we put on coats. Paul says, on top of everything I just said, wrap God's love around you as you go out into the world. Uh, binds all things together in perfect unity. Next one, number four is, let the peace of Christ rule inside you in your heart. Uh, No matter what trouble may be going on all around you in the world, no matter how you may be stressed out and your life is falling apart and there's all kinds of things wrong, let the peace of Christ be the thing that fills you because you do have peace with God through Jesus. And if you've got peace with God, then let's live at peace with each other. We don't need to be the ones picking fights or causing trouble among each other's Christians because we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's number four. Number five is the one we're going to come back to. Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, and he talks about worshiping together as Christians. And number six on the list is, and whatever you do, don't do it because somebody's looking over your shoulder and you'll get in trouble if you don't. Uh, Don't do it because you're being forced to or anything like that. Whatever you do in life, 
whether it's in your family or at your job or in the world, do it in the name of your Savior Jesus and do it in a way where you are giving thanks to God through him no matter what you, no matter what you do. Six things that cover so much of what our life is. But today we're going back to number five, which isn't a coincidence that that's on the list too. Pastor Tom Pave gave that example of somebody who told him, I'm going to be a Christian but never go to church. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, really? You're going to forgive people? You're going to be at peace? You're going to do everything for the glory of God? You're going to wrap yourself in humility and compassion, but you're going to say, but I'm not going to worship with my fellow Christians? That just, it doesn't make sense the way the New talk, Testament talks about being part of God's people. Paul says, just as all those other things are so part, a part of us that if you throw any you say, is that really being a Christian? If you say, well, I'll do the rest but not forgive, uh, what would it be like if we as Christians would say, well, I want to be everything else as God's people but not actually, actually worship? So let's dive into number five on the list this morning, just verse 16. What does Paul say worship is like and how do we apply that to ourselves today, especially as we're coming off just a strange year with worship with COVID. Let me read through it one more time. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now you're probably noticing some things as I read through that, but let me share a couple that jump out at me. One is... At the heart of worship is the message about Christ in words that are spoken and in words that are, are sung. If you'd look at what worship has been like across centuries and across different cultures in the world, you'll find there is no one pattern for worship. God doesn't say it has to be exactly like this. But it is true that when you look at worship, God's word spoken and God's word sung are things you're going to find just about everywhere. I think it'd be really strange if I came to church somewhere and no message of God was ever said. <laughs> is, that really, is that really worship? Other one would be, I suppose, maybe a little more plausible, but if you'd have God's word spoken and preached, but absolutely no music at all, uh, I've never been to a worship service like that. And the readings today, so in the Old Testament, you've got all these people, and thanks to Pastor Tommy for reading through all those names, all those names of people whose job it is to make music to God. That was Old Testament worship. Uh, Paul here, too, it's very much about the singing and the music in worship. At the time of Jesus, too, the pattern in the synagogue would have been reading God's word and and singing, and so still today, what's at the heart of worship? It's the message of Christ in word and in, in song. And the music part gets a lot of emphasis from Paul here. I don't know exactly what worship would have sounded like in the early Christian church, but sounds like they had a lot of singing. Do you see the three categories there? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And I don't know what exactly would have been the distinction in those categories. We have the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, 150 of them. We sang one of them this morning. I'm assuming that in the early Christian church, they would have used that same book of Psalms. I don't know if there's anything else they would have included with that, but the Psalms is one big part of what Paul imagines being part of worship. Second category is hymns. 
We don't have an early Christian hymnal, although there are some chapters in the New Testament that really seem to be Christian hymns, like Philippians chapter 2 has a section that it feels like poetry, and some people wonder, did the early Christians actually sing that? Third one, songs from the Spirit. I don't know exactly how that'd be different from the first two. Someone last night, as they were leaving worship, said, you know, that really stuck out to me that the Bible says that as we sing our songs, the Holy Spirit himself can be at work through the singing in Christian worship. Isn't that a neat thought? That as we sing, the Holy Spirit is, is there. The other thing I notice here is, as Paul talks about psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, that's not something different than the message about Christ. The way he writes is the message of Christ is going to dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish. And how do we teach and admonish? It's actually through, through singing, through the psalms, through the hymns, through the songs from the Spirit. It's not that the music is some kind of second thing that has nothing to do with the Word of God. It's the Word of God in the, in the music. And that's not just in the early Christian church. Uh, Martin Luther had a quote that a lot of people like to read about music. He, Martin Luther said this, Next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to people that they would proclaim the word of God through music. In other words, Luther said, if I could pick two things to have, the first thing I'd pick would be the word of God. Second thing I'd pick would be music. Because when the word of God and music are combined, God has a way of having that stick in people's hearts in a way that lasts a really long time. Maybe you know people where they maybe have forgotten a whole lot of other stuff about life, but they can still sing some of their favorite hymns. Back at the time of the Reformation, people said the reason the Lutheran message is getting out, and we know God's at work behind it, but people are saying the reason the Lutheran message is getting out is that people keep singing the hymns and nobody can make the Lutherans stop singing. Uh, a name for the Lutheran Church has been the singing church throughout the centuries. And still today, I think you'll find an emphasis on congregational singing in a way that's not always in every other denomination. Because in congregational singing, you have something happen that's just different than anything else in life. You can be a total monotone or sing off key, and that's, that's perfectly fine. I hope you keep singing, because sometimes we're supposed to be singing verse 2, and I start singing verse 3. Any of you do that? Uh, and maybe it's you've got your three-year-old or your grandchild or your nephew or niece and they only know the refrain and they don't know how to sing so they just shout the refrain and they don't sing the rest because they don't know it. But that's just fine that when you have a whole congregation of people singing together, it all blends together and supports each other in a way that you never have when you're just singing by yourself. And so the Lutheran Church has said, Let's have song and music be a big part of our worship. I don't know that we use the same notes or the same text that they used in Paul's day, but to say let's have music and song still be a big part of how we proclaim the message of Christ today. Now, that is different than I think what you find a lot of other churches doing, and you're probably familiar with that. The other approach is you pick someone who is a professional singer or pretty close, and you put them up on a stage leading a band and you let them be the ones who are singing. Other people can join in if they want, but it's more let's have somebody who's really good at singing lead the congregation. 
And I know for a lot of people who aren't used to congregational singing, they actually would prefer that because then they don't have to sing. <laughs> they say, let's have somebody else sing who actually sounds better than I do. Uh, Lutherans have said, let's hold on as much as we can to congregational singing uh, with a lot of hymns. Yeah, we're going to have a choir sometimes. We'll have soloists sometimes. But let's have the congregation do a lot of the, the singing. And if you'd say, why? I'd point you back again to this verse. If you'd look at Colossians 3, verse 16, who does Paul imagine is going to be singing? Do you see it there? Everybody. All the Christians. If you'd go back to that first verse, anybody who'd identify as part of God's chosen people, anybody who's holy and dearly loved in Christ... Everything in the rest of this section applies to all Christians. So it's not like some Christians are going to forgive and other people aren't. It's not like some Christians are going to be at peace with God, other, others aren't. This paragraph is about stuff that all of us share as Christians. And if you'd go back to this verse, it talks about the message of Christ dwelling among you richly. And the you, again, is not talking just about the pastor or the organist. It's talking about about everybody. Uh, there are other places that do talk about, and in Christian worship, you're going to have a few people stand up and speak, uh, what we would call being the pastor today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says that at most, have two people talk or three, because if everybody here this morning was ready with a sermon, <laughs> first of all, I don't think all of you want to have that kind of preparation on you. And how would we ever have order in a Christian service if everybody tries to be the ones teaching God's word? So that's given to pastors, but this verse isn't talking about pastors. This is talking about all Christians worshiping together, proclaiming the message of Christ, primarily in the songs that they, that they sing. And so why in the Lutheran church have we emphasized congregational singing? Because... We want as Lutherans, and not just as Lutherans, but as Christians, worship is meant to be something that all of you are, are part of. You see, there's a, two, there's a big difference between those two different kinds of worship styles. One is the one where you are active in worship, and there's another kind of worship where you sit there and watch somebody else do it. To, to use a sports analogy, it's the difference between being the one out actually playing and somebody who's riding the bench or in the stands. Uh, in sports, you have some people who are running on the court, the ones who have the ball, who score the points, and then there are other people who watch, who watch them. In worship, there's a big difference between somebody else confessing their sins and, and you being the one who confesses your sins. There's a difference between somebody else confessing their faith in Christ and you being the one who you confess your faith in Christ. With the singing, there's a difference between somebody else sings praise to God and you get to join in praising God your, yourself. That's the reason why as Lutherans we've held on to the pattern of worship that's called the liturgy. Not just because we like doing the same thing over and over again, not just because it's ancient, but because it's a way where all of you, as you come to worship, who is it that's worshiping God today? I hope 
all of you could raise your hand and say, I am the one worshiping here this morning. As you confess your sins and pray and confess your faith and sing, this is not for somebody else. Worship is for, it's for, it's for you. And so as we come out of COVID, uh, what have I learned or we as pastors, there's a congregation learned about worship this last year. Uh, one is it takes a lot of, of, of work to try to involve everyone in worship. If you'd say, what have we spent a lot of time on? There's a reason why now somebody every week puts the slides together so that we've got them up on the screen. Uh, the point of that is not just so we can use some new cool technology or anything like that. It's so that you can participate in worship. Because otherwise, if you didn't know what was going on, how could you join in? So why do we have that? It's so you can participate and worship yourself. For those of you at home, uh, why did we go to the, the effort of making sure the words go on the screen? It's the same thing, that, that worship at home is not meant to be you watching other people worship. The ideal is you are worshiping your, yourself. And that's where, as we come out of this COVID time, uh, as we as pastors sit down and say, what are the top benefits of being in worship together being able to participate in word and music is one of the big things of, of corporate worship. Can you worship from home and hear God's word and still participate? Uh, yeah, and I know some of you probably are doing that live right now or will do it later in the day. And I'm praying that's been a big blessing for any of you who have worshiped at home. Uh, the other thing I'd say though is, as I look at myself, I see a benefit to being here in, in worship. And the way I describe it is, I think that I'm a lot like a preschooler. Uh, hearing from our preschool teachers a year ago, trying to teach online preschool, that just didn't work really well. Uh, and two areas would be in the kids, kids singing and in just being able to focus. I've been with preschool classes where they all sing together and honestly, they sometimes put us adults to shame in how they can just sing out and all be together and sing a song. Maybe you've heard that too. Hopefully this next year, we'll have that back in worship again, all the preschool kids singing. But you ask a preschool teacher how that worked, how does it work to have preschool kids sing over Zoom? <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work the same as having all the kids, kids together. Same thing with an attention span. A really good preschool teacher can keep those kids dialed in for two, three, four hours. You have them all at home trying to keep their attention over a screen, and it's really, really, really hard. And maybe you're better at this than I am, but what I find for myself is that's also true of me with my worship. I've had my times worshiping on the couch. I've really wanted to sing along, and I have, but... Do I join my voice the same way at home as I do when I'm here? No, it just, it doesn't feel the same. Uh, last week, I was down in Tulsa for my brother's installation as a pastor at, at a Lutheran church down there. And during that service, I got to sit next to my dad and we got to sing together. Uh, which wasn't the only moment that made it worth a trip down there, but it was, it was one of them. 
uh, as the two of us sitting side by side with a bunch of other pastors, and it's, it's a lot smaller church, but we, we really filled that room. Uh, and I, I just was able to open up and sing in a way that I never would have been able to if I were sitting on a couch watching that same, that same service. I also find for myself that when I'm at home trying to catch up later or watch, I, I want to treat it as, as worship, but I have a hard time not treating it like I do other YouTube videos where I often put those on like one and a half speed or one and three quarters speed. Anybody do that? Uh, to try to go through it faster or to jump ahead if it, it seems to be moving too slowly. I, I don't want to treat worship that way, but I find myself being tempted to not be able to focus on worship the same way as when I am, am here. And so that's one thing I'd like everybody just to think about this morning. If you now, as you're coming out of COVID or planning, what does life look like the next five years or 10 years for yourself and your family as you worship? I have no way to test this with a scientific experiment. My gut as a pastor is telling me that if you'd have family A that regularly worships week after week by being together with their fellow Christians, and family B worships regularly week after week isolated at home on their couch, but they're still tuning in. Are they both hearing God's word? Yes. Can God work through that in, in their faith? Yes, but my gut as a pastor is telling me is that after 10 years, you're gonna see a difference in the worship life of those two families, that there's something we have here in person as Christians that can't be duplicated perfectly ever on a screen. Uh, and you'd say, well, well what's, what's the big deal? What's the main, main goal? It's, it's not necessarily about anything like that. If you go back to Colossians 3, verse 16, what is the goal in all of this as we worship together? The goal is not that we have the, the best music ever. I hope that you love the music here, both when we have choirs and when we sing as a congregation, but the biggest goal is not that we've got the best music of any Christian church. And the goal also is, is not that we have a huge number of people, even though a big group is always nice for worship. That's not the goal either. If you look at Colossians 3, the goal of worship is that the message of Christ would dwell among us. And not partly, or a little bit, or poorly, but that the message of Christ would dwell among us, us richly. And the way Paul imagines that happening is through public teaching of the word of God and as Christians join their voices together singing psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit being filled with gratitude in their hearts to God. And I'm praying that is what you'll find whenever you come to worship, that you will leave this place being filled with, filled with Jesus that if today you come here empty because you're filled instead with a guilt over sin, to know that there is forgiveness because Jesus died for you. If today you are coming in restless and stressed out and burdened by all kinds of things in life, that today you would leave again with the peace that only Jesus can, can give. That if you're wandering through life saying, what's my purpose, where am I going, that you've got a message of, from God that says he has a path for you that ends in eternal life. And I know this week, uh, many weeks, but this week especially, there are members of our church who are wrestling with death. 
And if it's death that you face, you come to Jesus and find the message of eternal life. That's, that's the goal of worship, that as we come together, the message of Christ would fill us. And if you go back to the whole list, those six things, I think you can make an argument that all of them start here. That as we gather together in worship, this is how we clothe ourselves with the humility and compassion that can only come from from Christ. It's as we hear the word of God in worship and sing to each other that we learn what it means to forgive, to have peace, all those things on that list. And so my appeal to you this morning as your pastor is that worship would be a big part of your, your life. Just as much as anything else on that whole list being part of the assembly of God's people, worshiping God together, would be part of who you are. And I know there are times when you probably will be away and distance separates you, or maybe there's such an unavoidable conflict in your schedule. I know that people get sick. I know there are people who are homebound. I know there are all kinds of reasons why people can't be here, and that's why What a wonderful blessing it is now that no matter where you are or when it is, now if you've got an internet connection, you can tune into into worship. And so the plan is we're going to keep doing that here at St. Paul, and I'm praying that will bless many of you. At the same time, I'm asking you this morning to consider, as you plan going forward, that perhaps that is occasional, but that being here together with God's people is what's normal when you can. The reason last week is because that's how you'll get to know your fellow Christians and have relationships as we encourage each other. The big one today is there are aspects to Christian worship that are here when we're together in a way that just aren't the same when we're we're apart. And so to close, just going back again to Colossians chapter 3, Paul says here are six things he wants God's people to have. And so if I'd go through them again, to God's people, and that includes you who are his chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul says let's clothe ourselves with compassion and humility. Let's forgive each other and not bear grudges. Let's live at peace with God and with each other. Let's wrap ourselves in love. Whatever we do, let's do it all to the glory of God. And on the list too, and not least of them is, let's worship together as Christians. Letting the message of Christ be among us richly in the words we, we speak and in the songs that we sing. Amen. Let's now rise as we confess our faith together.